Father, we want to be careful with the Scriptures. We always want to be careful with the Scriptures. This is not my word. This is not this church's word. This is your word. It is perfect. It is inerrant. It is wholly adequate and sufficient for everything we need. And we dare not fiddle with it to accommodate our own desires and our own longings. Our task is not to make it comfortable to us. Our task is to understand what you have said and understanding what you have said, be conformed to what you have said. And so I ask for your grace this morning for me as I speak to handle this accurately for I am fallible and must handle this infallible word. And so would you in your great grace, help me to speak with clarity and most of all with accuracy so that your word, your message is not distorted. And then as these words reach our ears, would you help us to understand, to comprehend, to believe, to follow, to be conformed. For that is your intention with these words is to conform us to you. And then, in everything else that we're doing this morning, we've sung of it, we've already read of it, we've prayed of it already, we pray again. Would would this time together in your word give us great confidence in you and give us great confidence in the sufficient power and authority of your written word which we hold in our hands. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. One of the questions that I am asked most often about as people come to the church and they are curious about the church is what the church's position and my particular position is on the sign gifts, things like prophecy and tongues and interpretation of tongues and miracles. It's an important question to ask because it's a question that affirms where we receive power for ministry and it is a question that gets to the, to the heart of how we will do ministry. What is the focus of our ministry? What's the intention of our ministry? How do we do this work of ministry of caring for people? That question will not only determine how we will interpret Scripture, but it even reveals what we think about Scripture. It's also a question about which there is much confusion in this day. In part, that confusion is because of certain godly men who have written well on other topics related to theology and on this issue have erred significantly. A book that, or a writer that I think a number of you will have on your shelves is Wayne Grudem, whose systematic theology many of us have found to be tremendously helpful. Uh, far less helpful are his words on this topic. And I quote, There is almost uniform testimony from all sections of the charismatic movement that prophecy is imperfect and impure and will contain elements which are not to be obeyed or trusted. End quote. And again, another quote, Usually this has been because they did not realize that prophecy in the church age 
is not the Word of God and can frequently contain errors. End quote. So the gift of prophecy that he speaks of from the New Testament is a, a, a gift that contains errors and can't be trusted and yet should be embraced as something that is appropriate for our age. Sam Storms, another writer of some note, says this, One should avoid looking to or depending on the gift of prophecy for making routine daily decisions in life. God does not intend for the gift of prophecy to be used as the usual way we make decisions regarding His will. End quote. That's just the tip of the iceberg. And because there is so much confusion on the gift of prophecy, while we could spend time on all of the sign gifts, I want to focus this morning particularly on the only sign gift that the Apostle Paul mentions, and it is the gift of prophecy in Romans chapter 12, verse 6. If you're curious, I have preached previously on the gift of tongues uh, two or three or four years ago, and uh, you can still find that on our website if you're curious about that. But this morning I want us to think about what the Apostle thinks about the gift of prophecy and what the rest of Scriptures think about the gift of prophecy in the New Testament. And uh, we are going to make our way all around the Scriptures, moving in a number of different places and ways, so um, have your fingers ready to do lots of turning. Let me give you the conclusion uh, before we get there. Let me give you the conclusion at the beginning. And the conclusion is this. The spiritual gift of prophecy was a foundational gift in the building of a church of the, of the church. It was a real gift. It was functional. It was foundational. Note the last sentence. It is no longer functional today. The foundation has been built. The foundation is completed. We are now in the building of the superstructure, if you will, of the church. And the gift of prophecy has passed. We want to, as we address this question, and a number of you may have lots of questions already just with those statements, and I understand that. We want to answer four questions about the gift of prophecy, and um, especially the first one is going to be foundational to helping us understand what the Scriptures teach about the gift of prophecy and whether or not the gift of prophecy is different in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So, first question, what is the gift of biblical prophecy? And I want to start, David, you'll appreciate this, in the Old Testament. And uh, we want to understand what the Scriptures have to say about prophets in the Old Testament. Theologian William G.T. Shedd says this about biblical prophets. He says, they are men, listen carefully, they are men who, inspired by the Spirit of God... Remove the veil from the future. They make known concealed facts about the present, either in discovering the secret will of God or in disclosing the hidden thoughts of man and bringing into light his unknown deeds and dispense to their hearers instruction, comfort, and exhortation. And uh, we're going to look very quickly at the Old Testament because there's so much data we can't begin to look at everything. But what we're going to find is that the Old Testament prophets were men who spoke God's message that had been given directly to them 
and it was spoken with without error it was it was spoken with complete absolute authority if they were making a prediction it was errorless and if they were making a declaration it was fully authoritative as if god himself had spoken it directly to the hearer in fact we find this all through the old testament that when a prophet spoke very often maybe even we could say most often um, it, they they spoke using the phrase thus saith the lord so for instance one of the first prophets, in fact, probably the first prophet, Moses, and Moses is identified in Deuteronomy 34 as a prophet. Moses, chapter 3, verse 15, God therefore said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And this is my more memorial name to all generations. In other words, God tells Moses, you go to my people and you say to them, I am sent to you by God with God's message. In other words, thus saith the Lord. Chapter 4 of Exodus, verse 22. God says, then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So Moses spoke to Pharaoh, not on Moses' authority, but on the divine authority of God alone and with the full authority of God alone. We find Samuel, and I'm not giving you nearly every reference. There are hundreds of references like this. Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 10, verse 18. Samuel called the people together and said to the sons of Israel, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I brought up Israel from Egypt, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the power of all the kingdoms that were oppressing you. So it is Samuel who is speaking audibly, but it is not Samuel's words, it's not Samuel's authority, it is with the full, undiminished power and authority of God. When Nathan confronted David with his sin, 2 Samuel chapter 12, he spoke in just the same way. Listen also to Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 2. God says, I am sending them, verse 4, Ezekiel 2, 4, I am sending them, excuse me, I am sending you to them who are stubborn and obstinate children, and you shall say to them, thus says the Lord God. That's the first time that Ezekiel says, thus says the Lord in this book. It is not the last. 126 times Ezekiel says, thus says the Lord. So when Ezekiel, as the prophet was speaking, again, it's not his ideas, it's not his preference, it's not his thinking, it is his audible word, but he is merely the mouthpiece for God. He is speaking the undiminished word of God. Now, what I want you to also notice is that any time a prophet spoke, that prophecy was to be examined. So Moses writes this in Deuteronomy chapter 18. 
But the prophet, verse 20, Deuteronomy 18, 20, but the prophet who speaks a word presumptuously in my name, which I have not commanded him to speak, or which he speaks in the name of other gods, that prophet shall die. You may say in your heart, how will we know the word which the Lord has not spoken? Verse 22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, if the thing does not come about or come true, that is the thing which the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You shall not be afraid of him. In other words, there is a kind of prophet who will speak. There's a man who will come who will say, thus says the Lord, and it is not the Lord's. How do you know it's not the Lord's? Because when he predicts the future, if it is the Lord's, it comes true. And if it is not from the Lord, then it will not come true. And he is to be rejected. In fact, about as rejected as rejected can be. And he's to be put to death. It's interesting. It's not just that that is a test for prophets, however. They're to be tested in another way. In fact, just flip back a couple of pages to chapter 13 of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 13, start in verse 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder comes true, concerning which he spoke to you, saying, Let us go after other gods whom you have not known, and let us serve them. In other words, he makes a prophecy, but the prophecy is to go after false gods, and the prophecy that he makes relating false gods comes true. Notice what he says. You shall not, verse 3, listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. For the Lord your God is testing you to find out if you love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. You shall follow the Lord your God and fear Him, and you shall keep His commandments and listen to His voice and serve Him and cling to Him. But that prophet or dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has counseled rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you from the land of Egypt and redeemed you from the house of slavery to seduce you from the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk. Side note, where did he command them to walk in that way? In the law, at this point, in the law. The, the revealed word of God that they had in Moses' writings and then later the broader writings and then the prophets. So God has revealed himself in his word and that is what you are to follow. And so Moses concludes, so you shall purge the evil from among you. So if the prophet speaks in contradiction to Scripture, even if the prophecy comes true, but he has rejected the Scriptures, he is to be rejected and he is to be put to to death. This is important because it... It tells us that the question about prophecy isn't just, does it come true? The question about prophecy is, does it align with Scripture? And that means, brothers and sisters, that the Scriptures are preeminent above prophecy, that that the Scriptures examine the prophet. 
The prophet doesn't stand in authority over the scriptures, but the scriptures are an authority over the prophet. And we, we need to understand that as we come to the New Testament. And we should also understand that if this is, if this is the way the Old Testament viewed prophets, that when Paul wrote what he did about prophecy in Romans chapter 12, it begs the question, how could he understand anything different from this? This is his context. This is his understanding of what prophets are and how prophets function. And there is no reasonable reason to assume that he would change that understanding. It is most natural to assume this is his context, this is his understanding of what the scriptures say, and he won't deviate from that. He will continue to uphold what he understands the Old Testament to teach about the gift of prophecy. So, that's the Old Testament. What about New Testament prophets? Well, the the New Testament word prophet simply means one who speaks in place of another, or we might render it more simply, he's a spokesman. He is a spokesman for another. So like in the Old Testament, New Testament prophets are speaking for God. They are assuming God's authority and God's message, having received a direct message from Him. So let me give you a number of principles about New Testament prophets, and we'll, we'll show some of this um, in the Scriptures. We don't have time for all this, so my sermon notes are a little more complete, so there are more references in my notes that I can give you, so you can download those later this afternoon. And um, there's also in your outline a little um, blurb by Richard Blaylock, And he's written an an article, and I can't remember the name of the article now, but it's on New Testament understanding of prophecy. That is the best piece of work that I have read on that topic. And uh, if you're interested, uh, you can download that. Just to give you um, background, I think when I printed it out, it was 11 pages long with 12 or 13 pages of footnotes. So it it is an extensively researched piece of work and really, really helpful. How do we understand New Testament prophecy? New Testament prophecy, like Old Testament prophecy, is direct reception of new revelation from God. And we can find this in a number of places. Don, you're going to appreciate this. 2 Peter chapter 1. Don is teaching through 2 Peter and doing a great job in that class. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20. Know this, first of all that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's, one's own interpretation, for no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Spirit of God spoke from God. So New Testament prophecy is direct revelation. What's the last two words there? From God. The prophecy comes mediated through the Spirit directly from the throne of God. It is direct revelation from God of a new truth. We see um, a similar concept in Revelation chapter 1, Revelation 1. The revelation, what's revelation? That's understanding, that's something being shown, that's something being manifested. The revelation of Jesus Christ 
which God gave him to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And he sent and communicated it by his angel to his bondservant John. Listen to what he says in verse 3. Blessed is the one who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy. In other words, this comes from God, verse 1, and it is a prophecy. So it is direct revelation from God. It is something new that we haven't had previously. And it comes directly from the throne of God through the one who stands as his prophet. So New Testament prophecy, like Old Testament prophecy, is direct reception of a new revelation from God. When the New Testament prophet is predictive, and not not all New Testament prophecies are predictive. Sometimes it's simply speaking an utterance from God, not to predict the future, but simply to, simply to declare something that God would say. But when it is predictive, it accurately, and by accurately I mean like 100%, by accurately, I mean not 99 and 44 one hundredths percent like that bar of soap you used to have in your bathroom, but I mean 100 percent, completely, fully, without any deviation, without any slight movement towards error. It is absolutely 100 percent true. So, for instance, we have in Acts chapter 21, verses 10 and 11, As we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, Acts 21, 10 and 11. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and he bound his own feet and hands and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. So he's prophesying that if Paul goes back to Jerusalem, Paul will be bound by the Jews, turned over the Gentiles, in um, in prison. Did that come true? Acts chapter 28. Acts chapter 28, verse 17. After three days, Paul called to the, together those who were the leading men of the Jews, and they came together, and he began to say to them, Brethren, though I had not done anything against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. So exactly... As Agabus had predicted, that is what came true. New Testament prophecy often also, or maybe not often, but at times is also connected with miracles. So Matthew chapter 7, verse 22. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name cast out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. So so some will say, but we prophesied. We we spoke of you. We made declarations on your behalf. We, We performed miracles on your behalf. We performed the miracle of casting out demons on your behalf. So our message must be true. And And what we want to note here particularly is that there's a connection between prophecy and miracles to uh, to authenticate the reality of the message and that is exactly how prophecy functioned in the New Testament church it authenticated that the messenger was true and we know he is true because it aligns with the rest of what we have in the scriptures 
So it's not just that prophecy is connected with miracles, but it is connected with miracles for the purpose of authenticating both the message and the messenger. New Testament prophecy is also consistent with Old Testament prophecy. So in Joel chapter 2, Joel makes a prophecy of the coming of the Holy Spirit. That's Joel 2.28. And then Peter, in Acts chapter 2, in his first sermon after the ascension of Christ, says this, verse 16, This, the pouring out of the Spirit of God, was spoken of through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my Spirit on all mankind, on your sons and your daughters, excuse me, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. And your young men will see visions, and your old men will see dreams, even on my bond slaves, both men and women, in those days pour forth my Spirit, and they shall prophesy. So Joel makes the prediction... They will prophesy. And he's saying that within the context of how they understand Old Testament prophecy. And Peter imports that into Acts chapter 2 and says, this is what's happening. And he is equating the prophecy that's made in Acts 2 with the prophecy that's made in Joel 2, drawing a direct line between the two, saying it's the same thing. We don't have something different in the New Testament than we had in the Old Testament. New, the, uh, excuse me, New Testament prophecy is also a gift of the Spirit. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 14, Paul says, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. So, the spiritual gift of prophecy comes through the Spirit of God. And if the Spirit of God, brothers and sisters, is superintending the gift, then the gift cannot be with error. It wasn't with error in the Old Testament, and thus it cannot be with error in the New Testament any more than God Himself can speak with error. It's also notable that just like in the Old Testament, the false prophecies given by New Testament quote-unquote prophets are evaluated. So 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 29, 1 Corinthians 14, 29, let two or three prophets speak and then let the others pass judgment. So if you're going to have the gift of prophecy, let someone speak the prophecy and then let's evaluate And what's the evaluation? It's the book. Does it align with the book? Does it make sense with what the rest of the scriptures teach? Is it in accordance with the truth? New Testament prophecy is also fully authoritative. Every true prophecy was to be fully embraced And followed. Why is it to be followed? Because it's the authoritative word of God. So, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, you know verse 19, do not quench the spirit. Verse 20, do not despise prophetic utterances, but examine everything carefully. Hold fast 
to that which is good, abstain from every form of evil. So hear the word of the prophecy and then examine it. And if you find it to be true, then embrace it, obey it, follow it. And if it's false, in fact, notice he doesn't just say false. If it's evil, then abstain from it in any kind of form in which it is evil. And that's Paul's way of saying if, 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 if there is a prophet and the prophet speaks, he is as authoritative as if God himself is speaking that word to you. So let's summarize it. You have this quotation, I think, in that first box on your outline from Blaylock. New Testament prophecy can be defined as, one, a miraculous act of intelligible communication, two, rooted in spontaneous divine revelation, and three, empowered by the Holy Spirit, which four, results in words that can be attributed to any and all members of the Godhead, and which therefore five, must be received by those who hear or read them as absolutely binding and true. Star that last part. Highlight it. Underline it. Whatever you do. It is binding. It is authoritative. Prophecy in the Old Testament is binding. Prophecy in the New Testament is binding. How then, second question, how then was prophecy to be used in the New Testament? So if, if this word of prophecy is a direct revelation from God and it is completely binding and authoritative on those who hear it, how was it to be used? Look at, Revel- excuse me, look at Romans chapter 12, verse 6. I noted last time as we looked at this passage that Paul gives us not only gifts in this passage, but he also tells us how those gifts are to be used or how we are to think about those gifts. And he does that with the first gift that he lists, the gift of prophecy. So if we have received the gift of prophecy, how are we to use it? According, he says at the end of verse 6, to the proportion of his faith. Now, I love my New American Standard Bible translation. You know that. It's the only Bible I've ever preached from. Um, I, I, it is by far my preferred translation. However, in this instance, I think the translators have done us a little bit of disservice and maybe misled us ever so slightly into what Paul is trying to say. When he says, according to the proportion of his faith, that word his... It's actually the article, the. Now, it is very common, and I can give you dozens of illustrations, it is very common to take the article and translate it as a pronoun, his. And that's what the translators have done. It's a fully legitimate thing to do in translation, but I think they've missed the point of what the apostle is trying to say. He says, if someone has the gift of prophecy, it is to be given according to the proportion or in accordance with the faith. 
In other words, if someone is going to prophesy, then it needs to be done in full agreement with, with everything that we understand to be true about our faith in Christ. In other words, it needs to be consistent with this book. It is not that someone can speak and they have full authority on themselves, but the authority they have is based on God and based on their speaking in alignment with what the scriptures teach elsewhere. So if someone is going to prophesy, it cannot deviate in any way from the revealed written word of God. It must be wholly, completely consistent with what we have in the scriptures. It cannot be errant in any way. So as Paul talks about the gift of prophecy, Romans chapter 12, he means it must be consistent with Scripture. That's the test. So the question is, is prophecy a gift for today? So there are two people, two kinds of people in this world. People who believe there are two kinds of people in this world and people who don't believe there are two kinds of people in this world. No. Related to this, there are two kinds of people. There are people who call themselves cessationists, which simply means we believe that these sign gifts have ceased. They're no longer functional for today. And I think I've just tipped my hand when I said we. So I am a cessationist. Then there are others who are continuationists. They believe that the sign gifts, including prophecy, continue into today. However, even those who are continuationists do not agree that the gift of prophecy as it is being exercised today is the same as what it was in the New Testament. For example, Wayne Grudem is a continuationist, and he explains prophecy, quote, as telling something that God has spontaneously brought to mind. And he, he leans on 1 Corinthians 14.30. So I just read you verse 29 that says we're to test every prophecy. Verse 30 says this, But if a revelation is made to another who is seated, the first one must keep silent, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be exhorted. And from that passage... and. I want to be charitable. I don't have a clue how he comes up with this explanation textually. But here's his explanation. Paul is simply referring to something that God may suddenly bring to mind or something that God may impress on someone's consciousness in such a way that the person has a sense that it is from God. It may be that the thought brought to mind is surprisingly distinct from the person's own train of thought or that it is accompanied by a sense of vividness or urgency or persistence or in some other way gives the person a rather clear sense that it is from the Lord. And so he explains the gift of prophecy for today this way. So prophecies in the church today should be considered merely human words not God's words. That's an important sentence. And not equal to God's words in authority. 
If someone really does think God is bringing something to mind which should be reported in the congregation, there's nothing wrong with saying, I think the Lord is putting in my mind that, or it seems to me that the Lord is showing us, or some similar expression. (laughs) I'm sorry, I can't keep from laughing. Of course, this does not sound as forceful as, thus says the Lord. But if the message is really from God, the Holy Spirit will cause it to speak with greater power to the, author- to the hearts of those who need to hear. Yeah, it doesn't sound like thus says the Lord, does it? Why? Because it's not from the Lord. It's not authoritative. It's not binding. And brothers, we've already seen from the Scriptures that what Paul speaks about, what the New Testament writers speak about in relation to the gift of prophecy in the New Testament is the same as the Old Testament. It is binding. It is authoritative. Let me just give you a couple of passages. Look at Ephesians chapter 2. This is is a really key passage. So put this down. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 20. Paul is here speaking about the foundation of the church, the development of the church, how the church grew. I'll start in verse 19 because it's the start of the sentence in verse 19. So then, Ephesians 2, 19 and 20. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. So Jews and Gentiles have been brought together into one body of Christ And that body of Christ, here in verse 19, he calls God's household. So he's changing the image from body to house. Verse 20, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, a couple things to note. Paul is agreeing there are apostles and there are prophets But he is very clear to explain that the working of the apostles and the working of the prophets was to build the foundation of the church. Not to build the superstructure, but to build the basis on which the church stands. These... Um, says Thomas Schreiner in his outstanding book on the spiritual gifts, he says these New Testament prophecies aren't merely good advice about whom one should marry or about private matters in one's individual life. They play a foundational role in establishing the church of Jesus Christ. It is akin to what Jesus said to Peter In Matthew chapter 16, when Peter makes his great declaration about who Jesus Christ is, and Jesus turns to him and says, You are Peter, and on this rock, this statement of faith, I will build my church. That statement is foundational to the building of the church. And in the same way, the work of the apostles and prophets was foundational to the building of the church. Now I want you to notice something else. He has a verb here. It's in several words in our translation, but in the Greek it's one word. Having been built. Two things to note about that. One, it's a passive, which means that the apostles and prophets didn't do the building themselves, but it was God doing the building through them. So they're the means by which the building is accomplished, but they are not the ones that actually do it. It's God who is doing the work. 
The other thing I want you to notice is the tense of the verb, having been built. And essentially, that verb is a past tense. It points to something that is completed. It's finished. The foundation is poured. So in my house, in my neighborhood, this last week or a couple weeks ago, somebody bulldozed a bunch of trees and then they came in and brought in some sand and then they laid some pipes and this last week they poured the foundation and now it's curing. And sometime, I suppose, this week, they'll show up with a load of lumber and they'll start building on the foundation. But the foundation is done. It's complete. And in the same way, the foundation of the church that was established through the ministry of the apostles and prophets is complete. It's finished. It's done. In fact, Schreiner makes note of this. If prophecy still exists today... It is hard to resist the conclusion that the foundation established by the apostles and prophets hasn't been completed and that the New Testament prophets are still adding to the foundation of apostolic teaching. Then we are faced with a situation where people are still speaking revelatory words today and in such a scenario, the final and sole authority of the New Testament is threatened. And this is critical because the authority of the Scriptures is at stake. Very quickly, a couple of other passages. Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Notice what the writer to the Hebrews says. Verse 1. God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets. There we see again. How does a prop, how was a prophet used in the Old Testament? God speaks directly to the prophet and the message that comes from the prophet is authoritative as God is. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son. So now we have in Christ the sole authoritative message we need. So previously, God spoke through the prophets. Now, even at the time of the writing of Hebrews, the the work of the prophets is in the past, and the work of Christ is authoritative. Chapter 2, same book, verse 3. How will we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? For it, excuse me, after it was at the first spoken through the Lord, it was confirmed to us. Us, notice the pronouns here, confirmed to us by those who heard, God also testifying with them, both by signs and wonders and by various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His Word. In other words, the signs, wonders, miracles, gifts, prophecy and tongues were authenticating And we no longer need that as they did because that time has passed because we have this book. So there was a time when the gift of prophecy existed. We no longer need that gift and now we operate differently than they did. And notice again, the writer to Hebrews is making this contrast between the two. 
Church history also affirms that these gifts have ceased. It's interesting. You read through the New Testament, and there is a decline as you read through it chronologically in the mention of the sign gifts. So Acts chapter 2 is the first appearance of the sign gifts. That's A.D. 33. Acts chapter 10, another occurrence, that's the mid-40s, about a dozen years after they first appeared. Acts 19, we see the sign gifts again, that's the early 50s. 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, Paul was writing 55 or 56 A.D. Paul wrote nine more letters after he wrote 1 and 2 Corinthians, and not once did he mention the gift of tongues. That's interesting. It's also interesting to note that he wrote three letters, First and Second Timothy and Titus, to elders in churches saying, this is how church should function. And he does not mention any of the sign gifts in any of the letters. And friends, if those are the letters in which Paul is definitively saying, this is the way church should function and sign gifts are for today, don't you think that it would be essential for Paul to mention that in those letters? And yet, he does not. And, and, and along with that, again, no, I shouldn't say no, I will say virtually no person who asserts that the gift of prophecy is for today agrees that it's the same as the New Testament gift of prophecy. They all say it's changed. But that's not what the New Testament teaches. Listen to what Wayne Grudem says again. No responsible charismatic, in other words, it's only the irresponsible charismatics who believe that the gifts of prophecy are the same yesterday as today. No responsible charismatic believes that today's prophecy is infallible and inerrant revelation from God. Huh. Well, that's funny, because that's what the Scriptures say, say it is. The Scriptures say it is infallible, direct revelation. There is, he continues, an almost uniform testimony from all sections of the charismatic movement that today's prophecy is impure and will contain elements that are not to be obeyed or trusted. In fact, if you go to people who say that the gift of prophecy exists still today, no one, virtually no one asserts that anyone is 100% accurate. In fact, most of them will say, you know, if you're about 25% accurate, that's really good. Now, that's good enough for Thomas Jefferson as he looks at the Bible. And he took out about 75% of it. But friends, I want something that is wholly reliable. And this book is. That's our authority. So, says B.B. Warfield, these gifts were distinctly the authentication of the apostles. They were part of the credentials of the apostles as the authoritative agents in the founding of the church. Their function thus confined them distinctively to the apostolic church, and they necessarily passed away with it. Oh, I got so excited, I forgot those passages. One last question. Why is this so important? Why why would I take 45, now 50 minutes to talk about this? Because the problem with continuationism is that it presents a problem of authority. I've already shown you from Hebrews 1. Biblical prophecy is the Word of God. It is binding. It is authoritative. To prophesy 
is to speak with authority. And if someone has the gift of prophecy, they are not giving suggestions. They are saying, thus says the Lord, thou shalt. You must. You cannot do otherwise. And if that is inaccurate, then where does that leave us? And if we can't trust the prophet who speaks today, and yet they claim authority that is as binding as the scriptures, then what do we do with this book? We have a massive problem. The issue is, who then, if prophecy is for today, who then is the final authority? The prophet or the book? There is only one authority, and that authority is God in his word. Come back with me again to Second Peter. Sorry to steal all your thunder, Don. Second Peter chapter 1. Verse 3, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God, of our, of, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of our, of Jesus our Lord, seeing that His divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of Him who has called us by His own glory and excellence. Everything I need in any area of my life is to be found in Christ, and I find Christ in this book. We don't need prophecy, brothers. We have everything we need in this book. Same chapter, verse 16 For we did not follow cleverly devised tales when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. When did Peter see the majesty of Christ? On the Mount of Transfiguration. He saw Christ unveiled in his glory. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, such an utterance as this was made to him by the majestic glory. This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. There there Peter is referring to the Mount of Transfiguration. Verse 18, And we ourselves heard this utterance made from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. We saw the exalted Christ. And on what authority then will Peter speak? Verse 19. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your heart. What are you going to pay attention to? The prophetic word made sure in this book. The authority isn't, well, Peter saw Jesus unveiled. That, that is astounding. But he didn't speak with that as his authority. He spoke with this book as his authority. And so he says in verse 20 and 21, No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy 
No prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but by men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. For Peter, says one writer, the splendor of his experience with Christ faded as he spoke of the surety of the written revelation of the prophets. And in case we're tempted to say, yeah, but Revelation 22, 18 and 19 stands where we are warned not to add anything to this book. God has spoken. He's spoken with clarity. We have everything we need in this book. And that leads us to the next point. Scriptural authority is enough. Scriptural authority is enough. Second Timothy chapter 2. All Scripture is inspired by God. Every word in this book is breathed out, spoken, declared authoritatively by God, and is profitable for teaching, reproving, correcting, and training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate and equipped for every good work. Everything we need for everything in life, we have right here in this book. We don't need anything else summation there are no more prophets scripture alone has the authority of God scripture alone must be what informs and compels our understanding of God and our ability to change do we need change yes brothers and sisters I need change and so do you and this book is sufficient God laid the foundation through the prophets of the church and then with the completion of the ministry of the prophets we have the word of scripture and that's enough we have everything we need writes John MacArthur in his very helpful book Strange Fire the continuationist view actually defaults on the sole sufficiency of scripture at the most practical levels because it teaches believers to look for additional revelation from God outside the Bible As a result, people are conditioned to expect impressions and words from God beyond what is recorded on the pages of Scripture. By using terms like prophecy, revelation, or a word from the Lord, the continuationist position has real potential to harm people by binding their consciences to an erroneous message or manipulating them to make unwise decisions because they think God is directing them to do so. The continuationist view allows people to say, thus says the Lord, or I have a word from the Lord, and then to give a message which is full of errors, and therefore, in fact, is something which the Lord did not say. As a result, it allows people to ascribe to the spirit of truth messages that are not true, that borders on blasphemous presumption, and it puts its advocates in a spiritually precarious position. God has given the gift of prophecy. The church has been built on that gift. And now the gift is gone. And we continue the ministry in the church through this sufficient word. That is all we need. Father, thank you for the clarity with which you have always spoken. And that when you say, thus says the Lord, we know It's right, it's true, it's good, it's sanctifying, it is eternal.
husband, thank you that we hold in our hands everything we need from you to live this life you have given us to live. We live in, I think we live in the most difficult days I've ever seen in my life. And we have, by your great grace, everything we need to thrive in these days. Would you give us confidence in that? Would you bring transformation by that? Would you make us hopeful in this book so that we can be like the one who saved us, Jesus our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen.